Good morning and welcome to High Point. My name is Andy. I'm the lead pastor here. Thrilled to be with you here this morning. I want to start off this morning by asking you a question. When was the last time you found yourself in great need? Not that you had something that you wanted, but something that you needed. I'm not talking about the, the, the new PlayStation 5 that you can't get your hands on. Right? I'm talking about a real need. Maybe the best way for you to think about it is, when, when was the last time that you had and offered a, a desperate prayer to God? You know, the kind of prayer where you need a shift to happen. You need a what we call a breakthrough, something to move uh, and if it doesn't happen, you're going to find yourself in a not-so-great spot. Many of you know what I'm talking about. You've had those desperate moments, those desperate prayers. Maybe it was financial where you needed literally a miracle to take place in your finances. Some of you have been on the brink in marriages and in relationships, and you know if God doesn't come through or if you don't get a word of advice or wisdom or something to happen, you're going to find yourself in a really difficult spot. We find ourselves many times in great need. Many of you, uh, if you're watching, well, if you're watching for the first time, you would not, you wouldn't know this. But some of you that are that have been a part of High Point for some time, you, you've heard a little bit of this story before. But when Amy and I first moved uh, into the Atlanta area, we only had three kids at the time. Now we have four, and uh, our youngest at the time, his name was Morgan, and he suffered from severe eczema. And it's difficult to explain what severe eczema really looks like and feels like if you haven't encountered that either yourself or with your kids. But, but understand that our youngest was never allowed to wear t-shirts, wasn't ever allowed to wear shorts, uh, because the condition of his skin was just so volatile. I mean, he was in pain all the time. He had a bedtime routine that took about 45 minutes to get him roughly ready. And I mean, he lived, he looked like a mummy half the time. I mean, he was just wrapped up from literally toe to, to, to his wrists. And he would go to bed in this special soaking wet set of pajamas to try to keep moisture in his skin. This is a lot of information for you. But understand that it was a very hard time for us and our family. We had a child that was really suffering. And it felt like nobody, no one, it felt like God wasn't seeing what we were going through. And we were praying and we were praying and we were asking and we were going to doctors. And it just felt like we were trying to do this all on our own without any breakthrough taking place. You ever feel like that? And I want to qualify this. I, I realize, could things have been worse with our child? Of course they could have, most definitely. But for us at the time, it was very difficult. And you watching right now, you know what it's like when you're going through a moment and you need a breakthrough to take place. You, you need for God to see what you're going through and move on your behalf. There is a show that my wife Amy and I used to watch when it was, when it was airing, it was called Parenthood, right? And there was, you know, there's, all these different family dynamics, but one of the characters, they're going through marriage counseling and the, the husband is learning to relate to his wife better and the counselor teaches him to look her in the eyes and say, I see you and I hear you. <laughs> so it's something that we say in our house a lot, right? And most of the time we're saying it out of humor, but I want you to hear this today. 
Everybody wants to be seen. Everyone needs to be seen and needs to be heard, especially when you're going through a difficult time. So what do we do about that? What do we do about our great need to be seen and heard? Turn to Genesis this morning. Uh, I want to read a story. It's a story you may not be that familiar with. Uh, Abram, Sarah, and a, a girl named Hagar. Genesis chapter 16, verse 1. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarah said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarah mistreated Hagar. So she fled from her. This is a complicated story. And it's got a lot of pieces on it that are, let's be honest, they're challenging. Abram and Sarah are considered, I mean, Abram, Abram is, is, is going to go on to become Abraham. His name is going to change. He's considered the father of faith. And yet here we see Abram and Sarah, literally in Genesis 12, just a few chapters prior to this, God has given them a promise that he's going to bless them. And through them, through their children, he would make many nations. And the seed of the Messiah would be born through this family. Yet, out of fear, they're, they're looking at what God said, and they're now looking at, at what they, they currently still don't see in their life. You, you, track with me here. Many times we take matters into our own hands. We, we have an idea what God wants for us, but we still haven't seen it materialize. We still haven't seen or tasted that blessing. And so the longer we wait, the more frustrated we become and we decide to do things in our own strength. And that's exactly what Abram and Sarah do. Instead of waiting for God to fulfill his promise, they rush the calendar. I'm guilty of that. And you are too. And what makes the story even further uh, more problematic is that Abram and Sarah, while they are literally, uh, they, they've, they've avoided going to the promised land because of famine and they've taken a time out in Egypt. And while they're in Egypt, they pick up a slave named Hagar. Abram and Sarah are, are flawed characters. And these choices deeply affect and deeply hurt the people around them. And this is no excuse. Slavery at this time, it was, it was a part of life. It was a part of commerce. But understand something. Just because it was a way of life doesn't mean that it's okay. Doesn't mean that God was okay with it. God did not ask them to do this, but of their own accord, it's what they did. Hagar is a slave. She is a possession. She belongs to them. She does not have rights. She does not have a voice. This was not her willful decision. 
And you need to understand the context of this and why this young woman is in so much pain and agony. Because she's a slave. She belongs to someone. She has no value of her own accord and of her own right. And that's where we find ourselves with Abram and Sarah. Sarah looks at, at Hagar and says, look, uh, you're going to become Abram's wife now. And she gets pregnant and they're rushing what with the, God's promise in this moment. And then all of a sudden you have this toxic relationship brewing and we're not going to try to unpack who said what and how and who feels this way. You have a woman who has a slave and she is pregnant, the very thing that Sarah wanted, and now there is toxicity that's taking place. We don't know the full ramifications or implications of it, but we know that Sarah began to mistreat Hagar. And the mistreatment was so profound that this young girl found the idea of leaving and running away by herself in the desert, pregnant, better than staying. That should tell us a lot at how bad things felt. I don't expect you to be able to relate to the dynamics of this story, but you watching today, where you're watching from your bedroom, whether you're watching a replay of this, whether you're sitting on the couch, you can relate to the emotions of the story. You can relate to, to feeling alone and feeling like no one sees what you're going through. You can relate to being afraid. You might be able to relate to feeling like you are being unjustly treated. Some of you are watching right now and you're in a marriage right now and the spouse, you feel like the spouse doesn't love you, doesn't show you affection. You don't feel special or valued at all. Some of you are at work and you're working and you feel like your boss or the, the person that's, that, that is your manager of, of some kind, they, they overlook you. They don't appreciate your work. Some of you grew up in a home and you never felt valued by your mom or your dad. You felt overlooked, forgotten. Some of you literally experienced abuse at the hands of a mother, in the hands of a father. That's tragic. It's painful. And in many ways, these are the conditions that we find Hagar in. She's alone. She feels alone. And she's wondering if anybody sees who she is and what she's going through. Let's keep reading in the text. Genesis 16, 17 through 8. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah, she answered. It's important for you and I to understand something in this story because it gives me hope, especially when I'm going through a difficult time. In the text thus far that we've read, Hagar is never named by Abram or Sarah. They only refer to her as maidservant, maybe in the translation that you're reading, or slave, like the translation that I have. She's a slave. And in every encounter and engagement, that's all she's referred to as out of Abram's mouth or Sarah's mouth. And yet the moment she comes into God's presence, the very first thing that he addresses her by is her name. 
You need to understand that God sees you and he is intimately acquainted with who you are and what you're going through. See, Satan, he loves to lie to us, doesn't he? He loves to make you, you know, to to get you fixated on your pain even at times and let that be the very thing that defines you. See, Satan knows your name, but he calls you by your pain. God knows your pain, but instead still chooses to call you by your name. I'm going to say that one more time for you today. Satan knows your name, but he calls you by your pain. God knows your pain, but he chooses to call you by your name. In other words, he is not okay. God is not okay with your pain being the very thing that defines you. Our God, the great God, the God of heaven and earth has a purpose for you, a plan for you, and he knows exactly what you're going through. He knows who you are and you are valuable to him. Even in your darkest moments, God is with you. He has not left you. He has not forsaken you. The God of the Bible is the God who knows your name. He is intimately acquainted with the details and the affairs of your life. And he has not left you. God finds, he's looking for Hagar. He's searching for her. He knows where she is, but he's drawing her into relationship in this moment. God finds Hagar on the road, right? She, she is, she's at a spring on the road to Shur, S-H-U-R, if you're looking at it in your Bible. This is the direction she would have been heading if she was trying to get back to Egypt. She's trying to get back to the only home that she knows. And yet God intercepts her. And this is what the Bible has to continue saying. In uh, verse 9, the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. Now this is some tough advice right here. This is tough direction, yet yet when, when an angel of the Lord appears to you, right? You do what God's asking you to do, even if it's hard and even if it's difficult. And, and this, is, this is challenging advice from God. He's literally saying, go back to where you came from. And the reason is that we don't fully see in this moment is that God's purposes and, and plans for her are greater than even the pain that she is going through. God is going to use this pain and this difficulty and challenge, and he's going to bring about something unbelievable, something beautiful, something purposeful. And so he asked her to go back, and the very thing that she deeply desires is significance and value, and God promises to make a nation out of her. God offers her and gives her the very thing that she so desperately wants, and that is to be seen and to be valued. And so here we find ourselves in the Bible as the only time this description of God is used. El Roy, the God who sees me. You, God, are the God who sees me. Now, Georgia, if you're from Georgia, this isn't your, this isn't your opportunity to call God Elroy, okay? This isn't Elroy. No, it's Elroy, okay? The God 
who sees me. You need to know something today and you need to take it to the bank. You serve a God. If you've put your faith in him, you serve a God who sees you. Even if you haven't put your faith in him, he is still the God who sees you. Hagar doesn't pray. Hagar isn't asking for God to move. We don't see her fasting. We don't see some life of righteousness that gets God's attention. We see her literally trying to do everything she can to get back to her hometown, and that's all we've got. And yet the God of heaven and earth intercepts her. He sees her. He is El Roy, the God who sees you. I want you to know something today. There is nothing in your life that has taken God by surprise. There isn't a detail that somehow shocked him. He's not scrambling in heaven trying to, to get angels to, you know, the, he's employing them to kind of fix your situation because holy smokes, that, look what happened. They fell off the rails. We didn't see that coming. That is not how God is interacting with you or his people. He is the God who is intimately acquainted. And even when you don't understand why you're in the situation that you're in, it doesn't mean that God doesn't see you and it doesn't mean that God isn't moving. Many times we have to work really hard to walk by faith and not by sight. But even when I walk by faith, it doesn't mean that I have full comprehension of what God is doing. But what I can do is know that the God who sees, who sees me, who saw my sin and sent his son Jesus to die for me and rise again on the third day, if he saw my great need in that situation, how much more does he also see the other needs in my life, the other aspects of brokenness and desperation that I need him to move on as well? He is the God who sees it all, the God of details and the God who is not surprised. Our God knows when you wake up in the morning, the Bible says. He knows when you go to bed at night. He knows how many breaths you take by the end of the day. The Bible tells us that God literally has the amount of hairs that you have on your head. He knows it. He knows when you're, when you're stressed about your car battery not, not turning over and your car not working. He knows when you need that raise. He knows when your marriage is in trouble. He knows when you've been to the counselor 9,000 times and you're wondering if this is ever going to help. Is it ever going to stick? Am I ever going to really get the breakthrough that I need? He knows when you're at school and somebody's mistreating you and bullying you. He knows Every single thing, and even though you may not see him working, he sees you and he is working. He is El Roy, the God who sees you. And if he sees you enough in your great need to send Jesus for you, he sees you enough to meet you in all of the other needs that you have as well. My son, Morgan, began the message talking about his great need as it pertained to just the condition of his skin. It was agonizing. And we prayed for years for God to do something, for a miracle, for medicine, for anything. And there was just a moment where we were fasting and praying and, and, and without getting into all the details of it, we finally got paired up with a doctor overseas, and I was literally looking at plane tickets to take my son, you know, to London to meet with a doctor outside of typical, 
you know, medical fashion here in the United States. We were desperate for anything. And yet this doctor, which normally takes years, potentially years sometimes to even get a consultation with, all of a sudden, number one, we got moved to the front of the line. We don't know how. There's no explanation for it. And then instead of having to fly over and meet, all of a sudden they said, let's do an online consultation over Skype or whatever software we're using at the time. And as we're meeting online, they, they decide, we're, where's what we're going to do? We're going to give you a custom cream. We're going to make something just for your son to try. Just for you. You're going to have to take it to a compounding pharmacy. They're going to have to make it. It's going to be a wild ride. The chances of this happening are, are actually small because you're going to have to find a pediatrician, a doctor who is willing to prescribe our prescription and take all of the liability upon themselves for a prescription that they didn't write themselves. So good luck with that. And in one breath, you're kind of encouraged. In the other breath, you're deflated. And yet, we kept praying. And we kept asking God to move. And one thing after the other that made no logical sense kept happening. The door swung open. And our doctor literally did exactly the very thing that everyone assumed would be such a difficult thing. We got our first little batch of cream, and we, our son, you know, Morgan, he came, and we lathered him all up, you know, with it and put it on, and he went to bed, and we were awakened the next morning. And normally we would be awakened by, no joke, by crying, sometimes even screaming in the morning. He was in so much pain. And yet this morning the door busted open. And our son comes in and he says, Mom, Dad, look at my skin. And of course, I'm expecting the worst, sadly. And yet in just a matter of hours, what had been an agonizing condition looked almost completely gone. And my wife and I are crying we're celebrating. What kind of a life is it that your son is so excited on Saturday morning to come in and tell you about the condition of his skin? And yet here we are getting ready to wear his first pair of shorts and t-shirt practically in years. And God met us right where we needed him to. He is the God that saw. He is the God that sees. He is El Roy. You need to know it didn't happen on the time frame that I wanted it to. It didn't happen in the timeline. It didn't happen. I, I thought I deserved better than this. I felt like I had experienced injustice. I felt like my son deserved better than this. And the, the, the list of offenses at God and what he hadn't done and what I had expected him to do. All of these things that I was feeling in my heart. And yet in this moment, God gave me the ability to be able to sit and stand and talk and testify to the fact that he sees what you're going through. And even though he didn't move in the time frame that I thought he was going to, I now get to stand and give all glory to God. It wasn't my strength. It wasn't my ability. It wasn't my persistence. It was God. God broke through. And he gets all the glory because he is the God that sees. He sees you. And he sees what you're going through. And I want to invite you today to pray to him right here and right now.
and ask him to meet you right where you are. That he would see you and that he would hear you. Can we pray today and ask God to do that? Father, I thank you for those that are watching right now. God, there are many of us that are in great need. God, literal desperation. And I'm asking by your Holy Spirit that you would move powerfully. God, we submit to your plans and your purposes and your timeline. God, that even when we haven't seen the breakthrough that we need, we cling to what we know about you, that you're good and that you're great and that you see us and that you hear us. And God, I am asking in this special moment together that you would move on behalf of those who are reaching out to you, on those who are crying out to you. Right where you're sitting this morning or standing or however you're watching, I'm asking you to pray. Literally right now, take 30 seconds and apply this message. Say, God, I need you. I need you to see what I'm going through. And I need you to move on my behalf. And now we get to do something by faith that I want to encourage you to begin weaving into your prayer life, and that's beginning to thank him in advance for what you believe he's going to do. So your verbiage in your prayer life begins to shift and look like this. God, thank you. Thank you that you are a God that does see me that you do see what I'm going through, that you do hear my cries. And I thank you for moving on my behalf. I trust you, I trust you, and I trust you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray, amen. I know some of you are going through it right now. I want you to know that we are in faith with you and for you. And literally every Wednesday morning here at High Point, we pray together as a church and we're praying for you and praying for our church and our community and country. We're praying for God to break through. Why? Because he's the God that sees. He knows. And so this morning, don't quit praying. Don't quit trusting. Put your faith in him today who you are, knows your name, he sees you.